Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Sparks, and this is Young History, episode 32 on Cabo Verde. I'm specifically saying Cabo Verde over Cape Verde because in 2013, they actually had their name officially changed in reference to how the UN would refer to them from Cape Verde to Cabo Verde. So I'm going to try and say that as much as possible throughout this episode because technically they are no longer Cape Verde. They're Cabo Verde because that's what they're properly called in Portuguese, which is the language that they speak most primarily. It's their national language. And the Portuguese had a very great effect on the entire history of this country, as we're going to see as we do it. And there's many unique things about this country, one of them being that it is actually the first tropical island to be colonized by Portugal, and is considered both the start of the Age of Discovery and the start of the Portuguese Empire. Cabo Verdeans actually have more of a population outside of Cabo Verde than they do anywhere else in the world, and it is actually in Cabo Verde that the second best education system in all of Africa exists, outpaced only by South Africa. This country is a very unique one, one I didn't know anything about going into it. I only did research on it the last, first heard of it and did some menial research last year, and then actually start to learn about it in preparation for this episode. So this is going to be quite a dry and raw run for me, and we're going to see what happens, but I'm excited to get into it. So I'm not going to waste any more time, and I'm simply going to say thank you all for being here. And my name is Alex Marks, this is Young History, and this is Cabo Verde. Our origins begin thousands of years ago, when the island was almost entirely uninhabited. There were no indigenous people that originally lived on this land before the Portuguese arrived, but there were, and still are, many stories told throughout time that tell of African, especially from Guinea-Bissau and other parts of the western coast of Africa, as well as Arabic fishermen that called this land home for a time just to fish around the lands because it is an island and or a group of 10 islands, I should say. It's so many islands that make up this country that there was fishermen that came here and fishermen that tried to interact, but none of them ever made official settlements. They just stayed here for a time to hunt or to fish, and that was it. And the thing about this land is that it's not arable, and it doesn't have any great natural resources like gold or anything. So the idea that the Portuguese wanted it is quite interesting. And these Portuguese do first get here in 1456, and it was a man named Antonio de Nole who was credited with the discovery, despite there being other explorers outside of him that actually got here beforehand. It was more just seeing different parts of one of the ten islands. It is considered that de Nole is the first one to actually see the entire entirety of the islands, and thus he's the one who gets credited specifically by the king Alfonso V. And when it comes to what Danelli, I'm sorry, Danoli would end up actually doing. It's that he's actually the first governor of the new settlement that's formed on. And when it comes to this new settlement, it is only a few years after the initial discovery that it gets built. That is in 1962, and this is called Cidade Velha. And the name of the islands is very quickly called Cabo Verde, which is pretty much like Green Cape, kind of like Cape Canaveral. And those kind of not fully separated islands, but they kind of considered it this separate part of Africa geographically. And thus they call it the Green Cape because of the green coast that it has and the color of the water around it. And that made it get this name, which it still holds today. And it was Cabo Verde, which the Portuguese said Cape Verde is like the Christianized, anglicized way of saying it. And that's why they want to be referred to as Cabo Verde. It's much more true to what they're actually referred as. For a long time, this wasn't actually considered a colony. It was more considered a just extension of Portugal. 
and that was done on the purpose of making sure the settlers didn't feel alienated from the rest of Portugal where they came from. And that led to less animosity between those that colonized the land and those that would actually call it home. In the name of Portugal, it just kept things from getting too aggressive too quickly. And as I said earlier, the land isn't very arable. It wasn't able to be used for crops very well, and it wasn't one that had any abundant resources. So they would have to make things work, and the thing they would do is actually, this would be more of a slavery selling point and a slavery post and refueling station more than would be anything else. So the transatlantic slave trade is very much based in Cabo Verde. And the biggest group of people that would actually be coming here would be the Guinea-Bissauans, who have a very similar history to the people in Cabo Verde because many of the slaves that were here would either be able to break away or they would remain on the islands because they were never sold. And that creates the early kind of genetic culture of who's here because it was an uninhabited land before the Portuguese came and eventually brought slaves with them. And there was kind of a formation of like a Creole Portuguese African culture that formed because the Guinea Bissauans mostly or other Africans that became slaves in this land held on their culture very tightly, but because of the fact that they had Portuguese shoved on their throat every day and Portuguese culture was always on top of them, there was a level of integration that happened where their African customs would see Portuguese dance come in and Portuguese clothing, and then eventually Portuguese would end up becoming the main language spoken here for most of its history. And I say most of its history because in the underlying, there was a language of Creolu, which began to take root in the land and recreate more and more connection between Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde because it's the same language spoke in, in Guinea-Bissau. And that would kind of start the early linguistics of the country that you could still see now where there's kind of like a Creole dialect of Portuguese that is spoken in all the islands of Cabo Verde. In 1585, Francis Drake, who was a British privateer and kind of pirate of sorts, ended up hitting the islands and he invaded them quite a bit to the point where they actually had to move their, move their capital from where it was in the olden days where it was officially discovered into... Praia, where it is currently today and still has been the capital ever since. Now, by 1807, Britain actually started to already work towards outlawing transatlantic slave trade, which actually crushed the economy here because there wasn't anything else going on. There wasn't any great resources to trade. There was very little agriculture, which came only from when the Spaniard, from the Portuguese started to deforest lands and plant in place of trees, cash crops. But that was such a small industry that it couldn't save the country. So when slavery started to go under on an international scale, which had its early seeds in 1807, before slavery was officially killed off by the British in 1835, this caused the Portuguese to kind of pull back any support they had for the country. They stopped supplying it because it wasn't making the money. They stopped funding what was going on with it because they weren't, they didn't care about the people there. They just cared about what it was making for them. That's the only reason empire's form is to care about the land and what it can do for them. So once it loses its value, they've used up their usefulness, so the country's beginning to move on. And then by the 1840s, slave trade was pretty much entirely dead because in 1834, Britain got rid of slavery and began to enforce no slave trade in the Caribbean, and that would start to work its way across the whole Atlantic and try to stop slaves from being taken from Africa as new people came into power in Britain. And this ended up creating more strain on the country because even though it was done in good faith, it's just that now Portugal was just going to do absolutely nothing to help the country. And this led to a lot of starvation and a lot of struggle that happened in the country for quite a long time. Now in 1929, uh, a lot of things would change when a totalitarian regime would actually come into power in Cabo Verde because there was just no central power there. The Portuguese had pulled back all of their support. They had pulled back any 
political figures. There was just nothing they were doing to help control the country in economic ways by helping it or by politically establishing a government or anything. So this country was kind of up in the air. So this totalitarian regime came in, of course, was very abusive of power, did things to all of its citizens. This created even more resentment for the Portuguese than what was already there before because of the way that they allowed this to happen in the land that was supposed to be an extension of them, this settlement they were. And the accumulation of all the previous things that had happened actually forced the people into a corner where in 1956 they created a movement for independence called the African Party for Independence of Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde, which is the PAIGC. And then the independence movement really starts to get it moving where they do a very unique strategy here that's different than most other fighting because in other independence movements it's very fighting based and they use especially in Africa different guerrilla warfare tactics and they use their land to their advantage and they outnumber the whatever colonizers and Europeans come when it came to Cabo Verde they are a very flat land that's very open they didn't have this same fighting tactic and they knew their population was small they knew that if it came to a firefight between them and Portugal they wouldn't come out of it the victors so they were working with Guinea-Bissau because of their connected history both in language and in genetics family heritage all those things they were working with them to gain independence and the actual fighting would happen in Guinea-Bissau but the more political side would happen in Cabo Verde and that's because in the modern age Cabo Verde has the best schools the second best schools in Africa. And this was kind of an early onset thing that happened even here in the 1950s and 60s. The schools were so good that a lot of people who grew up in Cabo Verde were able to be educated well in the systems of European politics and the politics of African countries and were able to work their way into working into being political figures for the Portuguese empire. And because of this, they would get major positions and be able to plant little seeds and vote for things that lean more towards independence. And while that was going on, an actual coup was being staged in Guinea-Bissau to kick out the Portuguese leaders in physical ways because they had the ability to use guerrilla warfare on the Spaniards that would come. And this would give them a victory on two fronts with time and with other events happening. A lot of it would come from one of the major leaders of the movement, who was Amacaral Cabral, who was someone who firmly believed that Every culture should have control over its own history, and he fought very hard for the belief that it was in their cultural history and cultural right to be independent. For both Cape Verde and Guinea-Bissau, they believed it was, he believed that it was what they were meant to do was to be independent from foreign domination, and because of this, he would hugely pay a part in rallying the troops and making sure that administrators who were being elected from Cape Verde or Cabo Verde were doing all they could, and that progress was being made more and more towards independence. And eventually it would come. In 18, Eventually it would come. In 1974, the guerrilla warfare that took place in Guinea-Bissau had a lot of success, and it took pressure away from Cabo Verde, and it also took pressure off of the people revolting within Portugal, because in that time in Portugal, there was an authoritarian, authoritarian regime in power, and the people of Portugal actually overthrew this, and the people that came into power afterwards were very against the idea of having a global empire and believed that it was outdated and that it was ridiculous that this was happening. So this power would be overthrown and people would take over and they get to move on forward both with their lives as Portuguese and move away from Portuguese, Portugal being its own empire that is built on taking over Africa and taking over countries that were not at all like Europe, 
they eventually be able to get away from this, and that happened in 1975, where official independence is declared by both Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde, and for a time, it was as like a joint unity, but it didn't take long afterward for Guinea-Bissau to have a coup of their own against their leaders, and because of that, Cabo Verde didn't want to be a part of it, because their political system was quite a bit better when it came to democracy, even in its earlier stages, where it wasn't a full democracy. So they broke away from Guinea-Bissau, despite maintaining very great relations, and most people in Guinea-Bissau or Cabo Verde look at the other and see them as their brothers, just a small sea apart. And there's a lot of correlation between the two. There's family members in both countries. And despite them not being in union and likely never going to be in union again, the relations are still great and they will likely continue to be great for the future. And the first president after independence was Aristides Perea. And despite being a dictator on paper, he really was part of those independence and activist movements and he didn't want to be abusive he was quite famous for his rule of the way he improved quality of life in the country he got more rights for the people started to move towards a much more even and true good country that worked towards democracy and also neutrality on an international scale because when the cold war broke out this was around the same time that their national assembly was created in June of 1975, right after they got independence. And they voted very, very fiercely to remain neutral, <laughs> despite wanting to despite wanting to lean towards more of a democratic, kind of Western European-style country. They didn't want to make an enemy out of the Soviet Union, and because of this, they didn't. They were able to maintain trade relations with both the U.S. and the USSR, as well as different countries in Europe. And they focused more on their own politics, where... For a time, a lot of communism and socialism was kind of starting to rise up in the country in different political forms. And this was in the 80s. But in 1985, a man named Carlos Vega would actually start the movement for the Democratic Party. And once the Soviet Union fell apart six years after, in 1991, it became very clear that relations with the European countries and the United States was what's going to be best for the country. So they did start to work towards being more democratic because they felt that the more democratic they would appear and be the more that they would have trade with these countries and good relations with them because because of the way a big country like the United States handles communist countries, Vietnam, Russia, China. Cabo Verde didn't want to be a part of this and didn't want to see this kind of blackballing from them and figured it would be best. So in 1991, they actually had their first multi-parliamentary election, which shows that they're in a very democratic place. And to jump forward a little bit, we pretty much get to 2013, and that's when the country would change its name in all purposes, and they say that the UN is to now refer them now refer to them as Cabo Verde because it was a name that the country was given in Portuguese, and they didn't want it to be translated. They felt that was disingenuous, considering so few people in the country speak any English at all, and speak any language that isn't Portuguese, or at least they kind of spin on Portuguese or a dialect. They went, no, you're gonna refer to us this way, and that's why they are Cabo Verde. And just because this was so short, I do want to just say some things about the culture, and that is that it is a very interestingly adapted culture because it is one of the few Lusophone countries in the world, which means Portuguese-speaking, and much like Sao Tome and Principe, it took a lot of influence from different cultures that were also Lusophones, such as Brazil, and Cape Verde took influence from Sao Tome, Portugal, and bits of Spain because in Portuguese culture there is connections to Spain in different parts of history. So when you go to look at Cabo Verde, you could see that in their dance and music, there is quite that influence of the Portuguese and different sects of kind of the Portuguese influence in there, because a lot of people from 
Cabo Verde move to Brazil, and then some of those people bring their families back with them from Brazil into Cabo Verde, and that kind of created a mix where there's like Brazilian Portuguese that influences the country, then there's Portuguese from Portugal influences the country, and then Cabo Verde is unique because it has its own African roots, especially in Guinea-Bissau, so there's connection with Guinea-Bissau, so there's a lot of different ways you could be influenced as a descendant of a Portuguese rule while being in Cabo Verde. And that can be seen in their celebrations where there are many major parades and festivals that happen each year where different people will come out and represent different parts of being Cabo Verdean, which to some could mean looking very similar to Brazil and having a festival, kind of like a carnival and dressing in that way, doing the belly dancing of sorts. But it could also look much more like Guinea-Bissau, where it is very African roots with the way they dance and much more traditional clothing that way. Or it could reflect Portugal. It could reflect Sao Tome and Principe. There's many different ways that in Cabo Verde you could see their culture spun based on where their specific family was influenced from the most. And that's one of the big things that defines their culture in the modern age. And just another thing to say is their flag is kind of a unique one. It is a blue background with a circle of stars in the middle that is intersected by three stripes, two white and one red. The background of blue represents the ocean and the sky and the white road, the white one in the middle is supposed to kind of represent the road to construction of the nation. And the red is the like bloody effort put in by the people to get there that pushed the country towards becoming what it is. And the 10 stars that make up the center of the flag are to represent the 10 major islands that make up the upper and lower part of the country, which are all islands of their own. And with that being said, that pretty much gets us to the present day, where they are very unique compared to a lot of the other countries in Africa. They have a very, very good education system, as I said, and that's not to tear apart the education system in most of the countries in Africa. Just a lot of them don't have the funding to build schools that can be attended publicly, and they don't have many universities outside of South Africa and a few other ones that have benefited well, especially in the central and southwestern and western regions of Africa it's much tougher than it is as opposed to, you know, just South Africa itself and then some of the Arabic-influenced countries that are very Muslim fo- Muslim in population. Those ones have a lot of influence from foreign powers and are tend to do better than the ones that are in the center, like Central African Republic and in the south, like Zimbabwe and ones like that. But Cabo Verde has a very great education system. They changed recently their system from a five-year education to a four-year education to kind of model the American-European style of getting a bachelor's degree. They produce a lot of college graduates every year. It's in the thousands every single year, despite them being a pretty small country. And I said it earlier, but there's actually more Cabo Verdeans outside of the country than there are inside of it. In just the west coast, or the east coast of the United States, near Boston and states that are close to Boston, Massachusetts. There's almost as many Cabo Verdeans by blood there as there are in the country itself. But then there's also many in Portugal. There's many in Guinea-Bissau. And there's a lot, lot, lot in Brazil. So their diaspora is even unique in that sense because the African diaspora is already unique. But with them, they're spread out quite a bit. It's much like the Marshall Islands, how in Arkansas there's more Marshallese people than there are in the Marshall Islands. The same thing is here with this low population country having more people outside of it than inside of it. And that pretty much gets us to the end where I always like to leave it with a mindset or a takeaway that you could apply to your life. And when it comes to Cabo Verde, I have to say it's to never settle for being treated in any way less than you deserve. And I say that specifically with this one because they faced so much 
true neglect, despite a lot of countries we've covered so far having very big influence from slavery and abuses of that sort, there was the point where slavery was freed and it completely changed the culture in the country. Here, the end of slavery brought complete neglect from the Portuguese. They stopped funding the land. They stopped sending shipments of food in. They stopped taking care of the people that they forced to have settlements there. They stopped taking care of the people that used to be slaves. All of those things become very clear in Cabo Verde. The way Cabo Verde reacted was very quickly they started making moves towards getting their own representation, getting a special distinction, and eventually getting independence and then forming their own country where they can take care of themselves rather than having to be treated by another country, be treated by someone else that was not taking care of them, was fully neglecting them. And I say apply that to yourself because there's many ways in which you can be putting into a relationship, be it romantic, friendly, work, whatever it is. And you could be the one who's being forced to settle over and over on the way that they treat you. And that can be very degrading, especially when it's with someone you respect or someone you have a deep love for or you're in love with. Those are the ones that it's hard to get through because there was a very deep connection between Portugal and Cabo Verde. There was no Cabo Verde or people on the land before the Portuguese came and started creating settlements. And once slavery ended, it was because of the fact that Portuguese slavers brought these African people onto the lands of Cabo Verde, that it became a country where that is the major ethnicity, where these people have the unique culture they do. So there was a, not love, but there was a connection between the Portuguese in the Portugal and Portugal's empire itself and the people of Cabo Verde, but they still understood that despite it being an, a guaranteed, you'll get the same thing every day, mediocre life under Portugal, if not terrible, they chose to still break away. They chose to start political fights with them. They, cho- they chose to work with Guinea-Bissau and have fights that costed blood and people and money against Portugal. And because of this, they ended up being able to break away and form a country for themselves and form their own education system and form their own political parties, their own political leaders, have their own elections, do everything for themselves and create their own identity, which is a country that has a lot of tourism, a country that has a uniqueness compared to the rest of Africa because of its location, its its own island nation. All these things that come from this choice to be separate from Portugal were hard and they came from the fact that these people refused to settle. And that's the same thing you need to do. One of the biggest things I've done in my life that I regret is settling, be it for a job that paid good and I just stayed there because I didn't want to like make less money somewhere else and work harder rather than taking a risk and maybe getting something great. And I did it in relationships multiple times where the person wasn't bad enough that like they weren't cheating or abusing or doing anything to the point where it was definitive. I need to leave them. But it was just those little stings of daily things not working out and it just being a mediocre existence over and over and over again that I vowed I'm not going to do that again, and I stand very strong against ever settling, because you know in your heart when you're settling, and there's a difference between settling down and settling, and it's you're just settling for less. You don't settle for less in any way in your life. When you have a job or you're chasing dreams, you don't settle for just what kind of false you. You don't settle for the reaction that people give if it's not the one you want. And in relationships, that's where I think it applies deepest, is there's many people you can end up with, And many of those people aren't going to treat you right. They could treat you decent enough so that you get your little happiness here and there. And, you know, you look at them and you feel pretty good about who you're with. That's not how it should be. You should feel great about the person you're with because of how great you feel about the person you are. And if you don't feel great about the person you are, then do that work first. And you'll realize your value. You'll realize your worth. You'll realize what you deserve. And if the person you're with isn't giving you those things, there's nothing wrong with leaving them. And there's nothing wrong with them on a moral scale for not treating you right. But... 
they just don't need to be yours anymore. So just like the way the Cabo Verdeans stood up against the way they were being treated and they refused to settle for this awful way their lives were being controlled by another country and another group of people, you have to do that within your life, be it parents, be it relationships, be it anything. If you feel you are just accepting this mediocre, bad, or worse scenario you're in because you don't want to make that choice to push through it and make the big change and take that risk of changing something you have, you're going to see that in the end if you make that choice, it's going to be 10 times better no matter what the outcome is because there's no way that that mediocre settling average feeling you get from your relationship in your life is what you're meant for no matter what your belief is I know that to be true for sure so you need to make sure that you're as much as possible making the choice to break away from mediocrity and settling and just accepting what you have right now because if you make the hard choice to go challenge and see what's going on out there you can absolutely find something better and I can guarantee you if you continue to make those choices that break you away from mediocrity you're going to be broken away from mediocrity yourself and you're going to become great in many ways and if you do that you're going to end up with a better life and i promise that's the truth i'm not even at that point yet but i feel much better knowing as much as possible each day i chase my dreams i practice this podcast i do these things that i'm passionate about which i wasn't doing before and even when i know that things aren't great things don't go right with a girl things go weird at school I don't get accepted into something I want to do. Whatever it is, I can always fall back on knowing that I'm pushing forward through my path and I haven't settled for anything yet. I haven't forced myself into a relationship I didn't want. I haven't stuck myself with a job forever. And I haven't accepted that the place of my podcast or my dreams are at now are the place they have to be forever. So don't settle. Don't settle for anything. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for anything that you do not deserve or feel you deserve truly in your heart because if you settle, you're going to regret it no matter how great you think things are feeling, no matter how great you think things may be in the future and no matter how bad you think they may be if whatever you're in now ends, the better choice is always the harder one. If you continue to make that hard choice and break away from things to better yourself and choose never to ever to ever settle, things are going to be better for you. That's a guarantee. So that's going to be the end of it. And despite it being a small country, there is a great lesson to pull away from it that you could see through its people, through the connection with Guinea-Bissau, which you can see from Guinea-Bissau itself. And Cabo Verde embodies this message, which is do not ever settle and do not let people treat you in a way that is not right. Because if they do, you have to do what you have to, to break away from them and make a change. So with that, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to say thank you all so much for being here. And this was a great one. This was a fun one. This one brought a great lesson, and that's what I want to do. We study history for its lessons, for what it can teach us, and this one taught us that. Don't settle. So thank you all so much for being here. My name is Alex Marks. This is Young History, and that was Cabo Verde. See y'all later. <laughs>